to see everybody this morning. Just a few couple things to note in your packets this morning. If you can just make sure you take those out either now or another time later on today. Really enjoying the 5 by 5 by 5 a Bible reading, five minutes, five days a week, five ways to grow deeper in Christ. Please work on making some form of reading the scriptures a part of your daily activity. I'm being challenged to start off the morning instead of checking my phone, checking the scriptures. Start up, may that be the first thing that I do in a day. And so this is a good plan to help keep you on your way. Um, also, we're in the middle of our 14 days of prayer. This Friday and Saturday is going to be a 24-hour day of prayer, starting this Friday at 6 p.m. My request, my challenge for each of you is at least choose one hour. Just come out and pray. Come out. They're going to have a, a refuel time right at 6 o'clock, so we're going to start off with some worship and some prayer, but then it's going to go through the night. And if you've never experienced that, just a time. Bring your Bible. Come pray. It's a good time to be together. That's this Friday night. So just some other things in there you can look through, but our heart is that this would be a year where we start it right and we keep it going throughout the year. And also in there is a prayer request card Every morning at 6 o'clock, you're very, very welcome. In fact, you're invited and urged to join who's ever here at 6 o'clock every morning over in this room over here. We're going through the prayer cards, lifting up your needs before the throne. Anything that you're walking through, you want someone to agree with you with, you can have your name there or not. We want to stand with you in prayer this year. Okay? So this morning, may I just say my heart is blessed, warmed. Um, this has been a good week, and you know, I, I just want to say that I love the Lord, and I love being pastor of this church. And you might say, well, why is that, Kent? Well, there's lots of reasons, but I want to focus on one this morning, and you probably remember that last week, on the 29th of December, uh, we were lacking $96,000 to finish off the year meeting budget. And honestly, as I stood up here, I thought, I don't see it. <laughs> there's, the, there's our side and the human side, which tries to figure it all out, right? Get out the pen and paper and you go, I don't know. But that's a good place for faith. And last week we prayed, we believed, we asked the Lord what our part was. But more than anything, we asked the Lord to expand our faith and just see what God could do. And we saw God do wonderful things this week. And I'm excited to say that this week over $90,000 came in. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, which put us about 5,300 just shy of that golden number. But you know what? We're, we're above expenditures. If anybody understands the math, the key thing in the church is we're not spending a lot more money than we see come in because that's not a good way to run a church. And we've seen that come in. We're above expenditures. We are blessed. We're in good shape. And I'm excited. I'm excited because as pastor, you know, I see all these different ministries and all these things. And all the ministries require some form of finances. And I always want to see our church grow. I want to see our impact be greater. And our lives are making a difference in the world. And, you know, it wasn't just, in case anybody's wondering, it wasn't simply one person that wrote a check. It was us as a congregation. The checks came in from all over the place, and people 
gave generously. So I want to say to you, thank you for believing, for giving to the Lord, for believing in the ministry of this church. But most of all, I want to give thanks to the Lord. I want to be those. It's, it's funny the way we're wired. You pray for something, you pray for something, you believe for something, and then God does it and you go, great, and you move on to that next thing, and you kind of forget sometimes what God has done. The scripture makes it very clear to us that when God does something, we should stop and give thanks. Like the leper that came back to Christ, instead of going on to his family, which I'm sure would have been a screaming desire of his, first thing he did was he stopped, he recognized the Lord, and he gave thanks. So let's do that this morning as we open in prayer. Jesus, I am blessed by your goodness and your love for us, for City Hill Church, that, God, you can do above and beyond what we ask or think. And, God, this morning there are so many needs we carry, but, God, I pray that beyond the provision of finances for City Hill, Father, I pray that faith would arise in our souls and that we look at salvation for our children or healing for our bodies or financial provisions for our homes, that, Father, you would let faith arise in our hearts. We'd say, wow, look what God is doing. Look what God has done. And that that would then transfer into faith in other areas of our life. Father, we look to you and we thank you that we serve a living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Freedom. Freedom. This 2020 marks the 50th year of City Hill as a church. 50 years. This is our 50th anniversary this year. Started small in a Bible study back in a man's home. Friday night Bible study turned into a church in 1970. And as far as I know, we've been meeting every week except a couple snow Sundays. Uh, we've been meeting every week for the past 50 years, and this is our 50th year celebration. And in the Bible, the 50th year is a significant year. In the Bible, the 50th year represents a year of jubilee, a year of freedom as a church or for whatever God is leading us. And so this is a year of freedom. So turn to somebody beside you and say, this is my year of freedom. Tell somebody, my year of freedom. Praise the Lord. So you see, we're, you're going to hear a lot about freedom this year. I believe God has put this as the theme. We have a vision for our church, which you can see on the wall and on the posters we have. And there's a vision. But the theme that I believe God's given us for this year is freedom. And, you know, freedom is kind of like air. When you have it, you don't really think about it, right? How many of you woke up this morning and said, praise God, I can breathe? Probably not most of us. It's just, just get through life, breathing, there's air everywhere, praise the Lord. But the moment you're swimming and something pulls you underwater, the moment that air, you ever been in a situation, you ever thought you might drown, anybody here? Raise your hands. Okay, so I've been in those situations where all of a sudden you're not getting to the surface and you're cut off from your air supply and all of a sudden air becomes extremely important to you. That air you weren't thinking about for 
ever becomes the most important thing in life. You are in desperate desire for air. And I think freedom is much like that. Think of those locked in prison today. Today, people all over the world are chained or confined in prisons. Every day they dream of freedom. Every day they dream of the day when they can be outside those confines and be reunited with family. They can go back to walking and breathing the air of freedom. They may scratch on the walls of their prison cell how many days they've been in, how many days they have left. Freedom to them is extremely important. Did you wake up this morning and thank God for freedom? You can sleep in your own bed, choose what clothes to wear, where you want to go in your car, whether you want to go to church, where you want to go for lunch afterwards. Are we aware of the incredible freedom that we experience? I think of those who are prisoners of pain. I have a friend, a good friend, who is a prisoner of pain. He is racked with pain, crippling pain. It starts in the middle of his back, and it wraps around his chest like a belt of fire. I said, if you rated your pain 1 to 10, he said, I'm constantly at 10. He says, I can just put on a good show for about an hour, and then I'm down again. We're praying for his freedom from pain. Doctors can't find anything wrong with my friend. He's been through the mail. He's been through everywhere. They can't find anything wrong. So they say, well, it's just psychological. That doesn't really help much at all, does it? To say what you're, somehow it's in your head. You say, that's great, but I am in God-awful pain. It's affected his ability to work, his ability to think, his ability to relate to others because it's hard to really care about somebody else when you are in intense pain. I would say my friend is a prisoner of his pain and he longs for freedom. May the Lord bring freedom to him this year. Did you wake up this morning pain-free and give God thanks? You know, my friend would do if he woke up and it was, and he was healed and he had no more pain. I mean, he'd be like running around the neighborhood crazy. He'd be going, no pain. And yet I woke up this morning and I have no pain in my body and I hardly thought about it. But God wants to set the prisoner free. 2020, I am praying and believing and asking the Lord for freedom for you. I'm asking the Lord that God would bring great freedom to us here as a church. I always ask the question, what would that look like? What would your life look like if you were really free? What would our morning worship services look like if we were really free? What would our marriages look like? What would it look like at work or in the streets if we were really free in the way that God meant us to be free? We can open our Bibles to Leviticus 25, 8 through 13. It's going to take me a while to get there, so be patient. So you have a good amount of time to find it in your Bibles. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 8 through 13. 
And also, I'd like you just to uh, pull out the freedom card. We're going to get to this card at the end of the service today. Hold it in your hands. Look at it. If God puts something on your heart for your freedom, write it down. I want you to be thinking, as I preach this morning, where God wants to set you free. So the background to Leviticus 25 is this. Going to have some Bible history here. Israel had been, a sl had been slaves in Egypt. They had not been free for 400 years. Thinking of our nation being 100 and, you know, 135 years, 145 years, 245 years. There we go. There's my math. Where Egypt was in slavery for 400 years. And during these 400 years, they had grown from a family of maybe 70 people to a nation of somewhere around 2 million. And Israel had grown so powerful, the blessings and the prosperity upon their, their families, that the Pharaoh of Egypt feared them. And they treated them very he treated them very harshly. They lived in cruel manual labor. They were making bricks out of straw. They were, part, they were the slave labor for all the construction projects. And Israel was enslaved, an entire nation of people. To add to their misery, Pharaoh ordained that the male children should be drowned in the river. Now, they found ways to get around that, but that was the law of the land that all their first, all their male children born would be drowned. They were suffering greatly. Life was cruel and hard, and they cried out to God in their distress, and God sent a deliverer whose name was Moses. And Moses came in with a message from God. Who can say it with me? What was the one message he came in to Pharaoh? He said, let my people go. Let my people go. The heart of God is freedom. God was not for their slavery. He was not for them being bound. The heart of God was his people should be free. I just want to say this morning, the heart of God for you is freedom. And you say, well, I've been bound. Well, so had Israel. 400 years. I never understand the timing of God. That was a long 400 years. And some of you have suffered a lot. And you say, I don't know if God really wants me to be free. I believe that God has freedom for his people. And we continue to believe even when the days grow long. And the Lord said through Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh said, no. Who is this God? Why would I do that? And then the plagues started coming, 10 different plagues. They got worse and worse and worse until their firstborn died. And finally, in desperation, out of tremendous coercion from God, Pharaoh let them go into the desert, but realized that all of his labor force was gone. And so Pharaoh returned after them, drove them, and they... God split the Red Sea. Israel crosses over on dry land through the sea. And the armies of Pharaoh are drowned in the Red Sea. 
400 years of slavery, and they're free. And Miriam, one of the leaders in Israel, sang a song. How many of you know this song? I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider are thrown into the sea. Hey! And they, they, they would have sung. I could just see these Israelites. They would have been dancing and shouting and singing till they just couldn't dance anymore. There would have been a celebration that would have been a joy to be a part of. God loves celebration. They sang unto the Lord for his deliverance. So finally, 400 years of slavery, and they were free. They were physically free, at least. No more slave labor, no more slave drivers, no more getting killed at the enemy's whims, no more harvest quotas, no more living under the rule of an enemy. They were free, at least physically, but mentally over those years I believe that Israel had developed a slave mentality a slave mentality that depended upon their slave drivers for food decision-making lodging there's a mentality that happens when you're an oppressed people which they were and so when they hit difficult times, these were not necessarily solution thinkers, people of faith. When you're, you don't get to live that way very much when you're a slave. And they complained and they grumbled. There was not water. There was not food. How many of you think you would have complained and grumbled without water and food? You know, that, that comes pretty easy. You're in the desert. I've been in the desert a number of times in my life. Over in Africa, water, about a couple hours without water, and it's not good. A day without water, you're going down. And without, man, and there was no water, and they complained. And you know what? God didn't like it. God took it personally. That's why I want to caution us as a people. Americans are fairly quick to complain about whatever. And I want to challenge you and just caution you and just say God doesn't like your complaining. And you may say, but I have a right to. And I say, find it in the scriptures. God, he wants us to cry out to him for mercy. Because when they complained, God came and said, and gave them 40 more years in the desert. I don't know about you, but I don't want 40 years in any desert. I don't want to be those that complain about the things that I would like to see different. We need to be those that will pray. Pray in your closet. Pray in the mornings. Come bring our prayer requests to God. That's what he's looking for in our times of need. And so I asked, well, so what really happened here? They complained. Okay, the situation's bad. They complained, and God, did he just get ticked off and go, 40 years to you. I don't think so. I think what God realized is that it took him one day to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took God 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. So these people began to see the world differently and trust in him in a brand new way. And so 
After 40 years, Moses died. They crossed over with Joshua. And Joshua, the new leader, led the people of Israel. And they began a military conquest. They went across the Jordan River and began a military conquest. And they defeated, first of all, Jericho. So here's their first test. They come to Jericho, big walls, and what do they do? They got there in a moment. The first thing they did is they marched around. Nobody said anything except the priests were blowing their trumpets. I don't know if you've ever seen the Veggie Tales. It's cute. But it kind of, I love it. It's like, you know, marching around our city is not going to take down these walls, you idiots. You, you know, mar but they must have been, yet I'm sure the people were actually fearful going, what are they doing? One time around, next day. For the first six days, they marched around once, blowing the trumpets. Then day seven, they went around seven times. And on the seventh time, when the shofar was sounded, the people began to shout. And I can just imagine the shout of these people. They've been building up to this moment, and all of a sudden the word was, shout. And the people of Israel shouted with a loud voice, and what happened? And the walls came a-tumbling down. And God delivered Jericho into the hands of Israel. They went on in their conquest. They defeated the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Jerusites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Wow, all these nations were considered stronger than Israel. Yet Israel soundly defeated each one of them in the power of the Lord. I want to pause for a moment and say they defeated them in the power of the Lord, but you know, they had soldiers and they had weapons. And they went in, and I could imagine some of these soldiers going, God, you know, I killed 27 today. How about you? I, I fought the fight. But the victory was the Lord's. And they began to realize that their strength was not what gave the victory. Yes, they were involved in the fight, but the victory always belongs to the Lord. It's a good rule for us in our lives as we face challenges, as we look to God for provision for the church or anything else that do we look at it simply through human eyes or do we see the hand of God in what God is doing in and through us? And so they conquered these other nations and finally the land was conquered. Ten tribes took the section of the promised land on the west side and two tribes, Reuben and Gad, after the land was conquered and settled, they came back to their side on the east side of the Jordan and the land was settled. They were in the promised land. Everybody go, whew, whew. Long process. They've taken, they've stepped into the promised land. So this is where we finally get Back to our scripture. There's our history. Leviticus 25, 8 through 13. This is the words of the Lord of them as they got settled in the land. You shall count off seven Sabbaths of years, seven times seven years, and there will be to you the days of the seven Sabbath of years, even 49 years. 
Then you'll sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. You'll make the 50th year holy and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee year to you. And each of you shall return to his own property and each shall return to his family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee year to you. In it, you shall not sow, neither reap that which grows of itself, nor gather from the undressed vines for its jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat of its increase out of the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. So this word jubilee was a word that God was speaking to the nation. And the word in Hebrew, and I'm going to butcher this for anybody that actually knows how it's pronounced, um, is something like jobel. And in Yiddish, it's jobel. It's the year at the end of seven cycles of sabbatical years so seven times seven and according to biblical regulations had a special impact on the ownership and management of the land so the 50th year was a big deal by the commandment of God for the nation of Israel here's basically what happened the land was to be returned to its original owners and all slaves and prisoners were to be set free And all debts were to be forgiven in the 50th year. Kind of like a major reset. They were to go back to their lands, be free of debt. And the results promised in Leviticus is that they would experience the mercies of God in a very special way. The purpose of this is that the land would always eventually be under the ownership of the people that God had given it to. Now, it wasn't simply a, I cancel all your debts, but it, was, it ended up being more of a leasing situation. So if you were renting, if you took over a land halfway through the 50 years, the land would be half price. If you're going to use the land for just the last year, you might get the land for 2% of its value because you just had a one-year lease on the land. So there, it's, a, it's an understanding that in this year, everything went back to its original place. And slaves and prisoners were set free. Can you imagine in America if we just said all prisoners set free? I don't know. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. But this was how it was working for Israel. And the land would go back to its original owners. You know, I I believe that the model that God is speaking to us, the principles, we don't live in Israel. God's not calling us to necessarily sell and do our business in these ways. But the principle of land going back really underneath it all is that God owns everything. That God is the owner of the land. God is who sets us free. God is over everything. And imagine if we really understood it and grasped it, that everything you have, everything you own, you don't own. That your car is not your car. That your house is not your house. That you are a steward of everything in life. We just live differently, wouldn't we? We'd give differently. We would 
share differently and open our homes differently if we really had that ingrained upon our hearts. I believe that's a principle or one of the principles underneath this year of Jubilee. And then to add to that part, it's that no one would work in the sense that the land would lay dormant. Now, we all know if you've worked any land that leaving a land dormant for a period of time is important, that the nutrients would be restored to the soil. And in this, they would leave for the year of Jubilee, they would leave the land unfarmed. Now, that sounds nice at one level, but if you're a farmer, we say, well, this year we're just not going to plant anything. That'd be scary. I mean, it might be restful, but what are we going to eat? Where am I going to get my money? How is this going to work? I mean, that was their livelihood, and that was the food for the nation. And God promised you will not go short. You will not lack. Trust me. I just had to wonder, what happens when God asks things of you that don't make full sense to your mind? What happens when he asks you to do something you don't really know how that's going to work out? When he asks you to go talk to somebody or minister to somebody or give to somebody or go somewhere and you go, but I don't know how that's going to work out. Are you willing to take those first steps of obedience even when your mind is racing against it? I believe we'd have a really a lot of fun here as a church if we did. We'd see things happen that we haven't seen happen as we step out in faith. And that's a challenge for me, and I'm continuing to learn that because my, my Minnesota nature, and I am a Minnesota boy, my Minnesota nature says, figure it all out first. And I don't think we always get that with God. He tells us to jump out in faith. Now, there's wisdom and there's, there's counsel, and I'm not teaching on that so much this morning. But God does call us to take steps of faith in obedience to his word to us. And they were called to do that with the land. Don't farm this year, and you're going to be okay. There's going to be enough provision from earlier years. It's going to be increased so that you're going to be okay in this year of rest. You know, that word jubilee in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, the word yovel, like in the word, it means a trumpet blast of liberty. It, they blew the trumpet to declare liberty or freedom. Now their trumpets um, were not metal. Another word in the Latin, that word speaks of shouts of joy. It was noisy. And that trumpet, where they would not have had those nice metal trumpets that we enjoy today, but the trumpet would have been a ram's horn, which was called a shofar. And the shofar would have sounded something like this. Nice job, John. Can you feel it? Kind of like, oh, war time. Celebration time. Now, it may have been one. Doesn't really, I can't really 
tell it says throughout the land, I tend to think there would have been hundreds. And as one blew, then somebody else down in the next village would hear that sound, and then another shofar would blow, and the land would be full of trumpet sounds declaring freedom for the nation of Israel. It's also important to note that this was done on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was the most solemn holy day of the year for Israel. And on that day, the priests had to go through an elaborate washing, washing of their clothes, washing of their bodies. Every detail was laid out. And they put on special garments. It started with Aaron. They put on special garments. They sacrificed a bull for the sin offering of their family. And the blood of the bull was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant, the most holy, in the most holy of holies of the tabernacle. And then they brought two goats, and one goat was sacrificed for the sin of the people. And may we never forget that sin is a very serious thing to God. Sins isn't an oops or a opinion or just things that happen. We're all sinners, you know, big deal. Sin's a very big deal to God. And every year to, to help the people understand that, the, this goat was sacrificed and the blood was also sprinkled. And then the other goat was a scapegoat and Aaron would lay his hands on the scapegoat and then the scapegoat would be taken way out in the wilderness to be sent away. And all of this represented God's forgiveness of his people through the shedding of blood. And the people of Israel would be forgiven of sin for one more year. And of course, all of this is beautiful, a foreshadowing of Christ. That Christ came as the perfect Lamb of God. I like what Gary shared the other day about how lambs were wrapped in swaddling clothes. Christ came to us at Christmas. We talked about that wrapped in swaddling clothes as a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then that Lamb went to Calvary. And at Calvary, the Lamb of God was shed. His blood was shed for you and me. And it was once and for all, so that instead of every year priests coming to the temple and sacrificing the blood of goats, our salvation is by our trust in Christ. It's by trusting in his sacrifice for us once and for all. That's why when Christ on the cross finally exclaimed, it is finished, it was finished. No more annual sacrifices of the animals, but the perfect sacrifice had come. And then it says in Hebrews 10, and Christ sat down at the right hand of God the Father. He sat down. That's what you do when you're done with your work, right? It was all done. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. I want to summarize just quickly. The 50th year was a year of jubilee, a year of celebration, a year of freedom when slaves and prisoners were set free, when debts were canceled, 
and land returned to original owners and the nation would celebrate a year of rest. And all of that was come to its fulfillment in Christ because the Day of Atonement, it came the fulfillment in Christ when Christ paid the penalty, as Brian was saying this morning, he paid the price for our sins, which we celebrated in communion this morning. And the scripture says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And I would imagine that most of the people here this morning have put their trust in Christ. I think most people here have said, I'm saved, I've given my life to Christ, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But so often I don't or we don't experience the freedom that Christ has for us in him. The worship team will come up, please. And what the Lord has put in my heart this year is that this would be a year of freedom for us at City Hill. That we would see freedom in a tangible, powerful way in our bodies, in healing, in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships. We've been asking the Lord for 50 stories of freedom, 50 stories of healing. Maybe we can blow that out of the water and get a lot more, I don't know. As God sets you free in areas, please let us know. We want to celebrate the freedom that God does among us. I believe we're going to see relationships restored that have been strained for years. That God will set people free from areas of bondage and addiction in their lives. And now we can take out your freedom card. And if there's any area, and I believe that God has areas for each of us, that you believe God wants to set you free, he's speaking to you, even at this time, that God wants to set you free, just write it down. You're not going to turn it in. You're not going to sign it. This is just for you. But I think it's important that we make note as God speaks to our heart. And now I know this may be a bit uncomfortable for the uh, Scandinavians among us. But uh, in a moment, we're going to have a time of celebration and make some noise. Some celebration. Now for the Scandinavians, we only yell when the Vikings win this afternoon, right? You know, it's, it's amazing. We're pretty quiet until that Minneapolis miracle takes place or whatever, and all of a sudden we're hugging people we've never met. All of a sudden we're shouting and yelling, and all of that comes through. Well, I think we have something a lot greater than a Vikings victory. I just want to say, I mean, I... I'm a Minnetonka boy. And I understand the reserve we have, but sometimes we just got to, we're so passive that we don't break through what God has for us. And I felt the Lord say, we need to shout this morning. Giving you a little warning just to kind of gear it up in your soul, okay? And here's what I'm, I felt the Lord put on my heart. In a few minutes, John's going to blow his shofar as our signal. 
And along in the spirit of what the Israelites would have done, what I believe God would have for us, when the shofar goes, I want us to take that card, jump to our feet, and shout. Say, well, what am I going to shout? Well, you might shout, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Maybe you can be like Mel Gibson. Freedom! You don't know that movie, sorry. It was a good one. Um, but there is something that sometimes we need to break in. I don't just mean shouting just because it's kind of a crazy thing to do. And if you're a visitor this morning, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry you're visiting, but this is not. But we need to sometimes break out of our lethargy. And what I'm asking is not just that we shout for freedom in the general sense, but this morning for the specific sense. Maybe there's a depression that you're struggling under. Believe God that God will bring freedom this year. Maybe there's a financial bondage or a hole that you say, there's no way I can get out of this. You add it all up and you go, I'm not even close I believe God has incredible freedom for us financially. God wants us out of debt. Got debt that says the borrower is slave to the lender. I don't want to be slave to anybody except to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're in debt, if you're bound in your emotions, if you're challenged in your home or your family or with your siblings or wherever or May God put that on your heart, write it down. In a moment, we're just going to hold that card up. If you want to rip it up, maybe rip it up and then stick the pieces in your Bible. Just to remember that God wants to set us free this year. And it's not going to come out of passivity. It's not going to come just sitting back and say, well, huh, let's see if that happens. That isn't how it works. It comes as we declare God's freedom, as we say, Lord, we take steps of faith. And then we watch and see what God will do. So let's take a moment. The cards before you. We're going to pray. Write down whatever God puts on your heart. It's very private. You can make initials, something. But so you know what's on the card. You know, and sometimes it's hard to step out because we're afraid that won't happen. We're afraid things might not work out. That's the whole walk of faith, folks. It's taking a risk. It's standing and taking a step out and trusting God for things that are beyond our ability to answer. And that's part of the joy of walking by faith is watching what God will do. And then when you hear the shofar, I want to encourage you. Stand up, jump up, Present your card as an offering to the Lord. And let's give a shout. Let's give a shout to the Lord in freedom this morning. I'm going to give you a minute to fill out your cards.
Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you that when they surrounded Jericho, they blew the shofar and the people shouted with a great shout and the walls fell down. Father, I pray that as we shout it out, as we step out of our comfort zone, as we shout out praise to you this morning, God, I pray that you would tear down the walls that hold us captive and that, God, we would experience your freedom. Your freedom, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Everybody ready? God, bring freedom. I'm just... Father, I get angry and I get sick and tired of watching the Christians be bound. God, break through the pride, break through the fear, break through the things that hold us back. And by your Holy Spirit, God, bring freedom to us in this year of celebration, this year of jubilee, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Woo! Praise the Lord. Well, if you're a visitor, it's been a loud Sunday. Um, praise the Lord. It's good to shout. Good to trust God. For